we gather for worship this morning, come to God in His Word, I would hear us, I would have us hear Him calling us to a closer, a deeper walk with Him. The importance of knowing and loving Him every day. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've worked our way through this uh, book of basic Christianity. Paul, in one of his first letters, writing to a very young church about the things that are most basic to what it means to know Christ and to be the church. And here as he is wrapping up his his letter, we're in the final verses here, Um, he gives us some lists of things. He just kind of peppers them off at us. It's sort of a shotgun blast. You know, rejoice always, pray continually, these kind of things. Uh, Every single one of them is a sermon, but I said that would take us another 10 months or something like that to get through them, so we're not going to do that. Uh, But we're going to pull them together this morning because I do believe they belong together, even though you could dig real deep in them. I believe trying to catch them is is something um, uh, together that that, that is calling us to something uh, in specific, particular, as we say, a walk with God. So let's, uh, let's read it, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 22. Hear then the Word of God. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we again come to sit at your feet and to hear from you. We long for you to speak these things into our lives with power. We long to hear this call with great effectiveness. To call us out of our complacency. To call us out of our laziness. To call us to Yourself. To call us to greater depth and life and health and peace. Oh, let us hear that call. Speak afresh into us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We talk a lot about relationship with God. At least uh, some of us do. I know I've heard folks along the way, I think I've said myself, that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Right? It's more than a religion. It's more than an outward formality. It's, it's more than religious stuff and, and religious observance. It's a, it's a relationship. And I think that that's absolutely right. It's a relationship of knowing, loving, and walking with God. In Micah 6.8 it says, He has told you, O man and woman, what is good. He's told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? If not this, to to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk with Him. This is what He requires of us. Colossians 2, in a New Testament way, he says very similar things. Verses 6 and 7, he says, as you have received Christ, as you've believed in Him, trusted in Him, and, and put your faith and your hope in Him, and entered into relationship with Him, so also walk in Him. Walk in Him. Walk with Him. Being built up in Him, in relationship with Him. Being established in the faith, just as you were taught, 
abounding in thanksgiving, which he's going to say here in a minute. We're going to touch on, on that as part of all of this. Thanksgiving comes in at every point. And so this idea of walking with God is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for life. It's like as while you're walking around, you know, as we walk through life, you know, we want this and that. It's a metaphor for living. It's a metaphor for life. And so walking with God is a life with God. It's a life done. It's doing life with God. Just as if you're married, you do life with your spouse. You know, you're not doing it alone. You guys walk through life together. And that we're to do that with, with God in a unique and powerful way every day. But sometimes we talk about walking with God or relationship with God as if everyone knows what that means. But maybe some of us don't know what that means. But not as well. Kind of a vague, you know, hear you, but it's something I can't quite put my hand on. And yet, it's probably one of the most important things we could talk about. What does it look like to walk with your God every day? And so in Paul's final instructions to the Thessalonian church, Paul, I believe, is calling the church to walk with their God. To have a relationship with Him. And he doesn't actually use the phrase, hey, you guys walk with God and then define it. He simply describes it. He simply tells us what it looks like. In very specific ways. Now too often we read this list in a list like this in the Scripture and we read it uh, uh, with a sense of guilt. We, we read it in, as, as almost a list of new laws. You know, even though the New Testament says that we're not under law, we're under grace, often we'll read these lists because they come to us, we talked last time about it in the imperative, that is the voice of command. They're not suggestions, so to speak. They're, they are commands. And so, but are they commandments? They're, they're a call to us. They're a definitive call to God's people. But I don't think we should read them as a new list of laws. Things that will cast a new burden on us and create new guilt among us. You know, as if we read the list, you know, like, oh, rejoice always. All right, I've got to be happy all the time. Okay, pray with that. See, all right, I'm not doing that all the time. I've got to try harder to pray all the time because if I don't, I'm not a good Christian. And if I, you know, when we read the list like that, there's a law, I've got to try harder to do the list or I'm a bad person. And, you know, and so we kind of chug and now we're back to religion instead of a relationship. And this is a call, my friends, is a call to relationship. To walk with God. And so we start with a life of joy, right? He says in verse 16, to rejoice always. To do it always. And you'll see the always running through this. Right? There's always, without ceasing, in all circumstances, right? So these are things that are supposed to mark our lives. These are things that are supposed to go on all the time. You know, they're, they're supposed to be you know, part of the, the bent and drift of the whole thing. Rejoice always. So that speaks of a life of joy, right? Not just moments of joy, or, but a life of it. Rejoice always. Find joy in your God. Again, not a law to be obeyed, but this is the beating heart of the spiritual life, is it not? To rejoice, to know joy, to find joy in God and a life with God. It's a gracious call to find this, the, the joy and satisfaction in our Savior's. Yeah, I know that it's shorthand and it just says rejoice always, but you know, it's that gracious call that we would find that joy and satisfaction in our Savior. I was given a book in the last month or so by one of our elders called uh, 
the camaraderie of confidence. Uh, John Piper's written a series of books, I think there's six or seven of them now, and each one has three biographies in it of great uh, men and women of the faith, and, and, it, and it pulls stuff out and talks about each one. They're, they're really powerful. The one, this camaraderie of confidence, the last one, the first chapter is on Charles Spurgeon, the second one's on George Mueller. Uh, great reading and encouraging reading in the lives of these guys. But in the midst of it, I'm in the middle of the chapter on Mueller, and he says this, I saw all the more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Just think about that for a moment. Right? That, that he says this is, he sees it more clearly than ever. Here's a man who walked with God and accomplished much before God. Goes down in history uh, for the ways that God used him. And he says in the first great and primary business of life, he said, I would take time every day to find my soul happy in my God. That joy in God, rejoicing always, he said, was the primary business of life. You orienting your soul on God your Savior, and from there to draw joy and life and satisfaction. He says that's, that is the primary main business, first order of the day. All of life is going to flow from this, be affected by this. And so why is it the main business of life? Piper, talking about Mueller's statement there, says this, the satisfied soul, if that's where you start finding your joy, satisfaction, your happiness in God, it is the satisfied soul that was free to sacrifice and to live a life of simplicity and risk and self-denial and love, to pour themselves out in sacrifice and service and in the way of God and of, of life. And everything flowed from the soul that was first satisfied in the gracious and sovereign God. And so he saw it as the first order of business in life. We can't live in the pattern of Christ. And we can't live that risky, sacrificial, loving, gracious life apart from the fountain from which it flows. If we're not first full and satisfied in God, and so Mueller goes on to say the secret of all true effectual service is joy in God. Anybody want to be an effective in the Christian life and effective, you know, and it's not digging down on your bootstraps and, and, you know, pulling it up and I can, you know, it's not all, it's not here at all. He says the first, if you want to be effective in the Christian life in the kingdom and in the church and wherever else, it is to go outside of yourself and to find in God the true fullness of life that is only found in Him, and it is out of that finding in Him that everything else, he says, flows and becomes effective. It doesn't mean there's not still some room for raw obedience. Sometimes we do what is right just because it's right, not because I feel joyful about it. Sometimes we'll go there, well, I don't feel joyful about it, so I won't do it. You know, I just won't go there. And I don't think that's the right answer either. I think recognizing that we lack you know, this, this motive that should be right in our hearts isn't to say that we shouldn't press forward. It's to say we need to dig deeper. And we need to get our hearts right and we need to seek and to pursue that which is in Christ. Philippians 4.4 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, again, I'm going to say it. Rejoice. 
Right? I love that this is Paul at the end of the book of Philippians. You know, it's the same thing. At the end of that book, he does a similar thing as he does at the end of this book. In some ways, it's his last word to God's people as he's signing off. Make sure, folk, you know, as we rejoice in the Lord always. Let me say it again because sometimes we, you're not listening or we forget. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Right? Where there is that you know, repetition, there is that get this Get this. That's what Paul is saying. You've got to get this. And it's not any joy. And in the end of Philippians, he makes it real clear, doesn't he? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. So it's not just any joy. But it is that, that, that is a foundational joy. Because if you find joy and look for joy out there, whether it's in the person sitting next to you, or you know, any person in your life, or in your work, or in something, or you know, that you can get your hands on, he says, if you look for joy out there, it comes and goes, it's fleeting and it will pass away. Right? But if you find your joy in the Lord, if you actually find it there, you, you actually obtain it there, He doesn't pass away. Right? It is a joy that is it's eternal. Right? That we will live with Him now and forever in the midst of this thing that we are creating in relationship with Him to find our joy there now and forever. And nothing in this world can take it away. And that's why it is the primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in God and know that the rest of life flows from this. So if I do nothing else today, I want to do this. And if I do a thousand other things today, I don't want to neglect to do this just to orient my soul toward my God and find myself satisfied. It's the very heart of a relationship with God. Always seeking and finding our joy in Him. And so he doesn't just leave it there though. The relationship, our relationship with Him is fuller and he says rejoice always. And then in verse 17 he goes on, he says, and pray without ceasing, which in the Greek is really two words and it could be translated just something like pray ceaselessly, pray constantly, right? It's two words just like rejoice always, pray ceaselessly, do it all the time. And what is he talking about? He's talking about not another law to be fulfilled. You're not praying all the time. You're not praying. You haven't prayed enough, you know, you know, and so it's not like that at all. He's calling you to a life of connection with God. Right? When he says pray without ceasing, that is turn your soul to your God on a regular and consistent basis. Orient your life, whatever, you know, through your days and through your weeks, orient your, your soul toward walk through life with God. Right? Lift your heart to Him. Turn your heart to Him. Turn your mind to Him over and over again. Be connected to Him. And when we know Him, in His love, and we're feasting on His love, and we know Him in His grace and His mercy, and we're finding ourselves joyful in Him, it is not hard if we have oriented ourselves that way. If we're rejoicing always, praying ceaselessly is not that hard. Because we've already oriented our hearts. We've already found that satisfaction. We already know Him and, 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 and feast on all that is ours in Him and live in the joy of it. And so our hearts can turn to Him through our day and find Him faithful and find Him close and to find Him to be our present help in times of trouble. 
When we know that He loves us and He is for us and He is with us and He is sovereign and powerful and that He is able and that He is good and that He is at work in our lives and then the turning of our hearts to Him all the time during the day. In other words, to seek what we need from Him. Am I going into a difficult meeting that to seek what we need from Him? God, have mercy. You know, if my heart is in turmoil over something, that, that I would take a moment and orient myself again on Him and rest in Him and to seek His grace and His strength. And whatever it is that fills your day, whatever it is going on, it should bring God into it, to walk with Him through it. That we would ask and knock and seek to find that guidance and the protection, that wisdom, that grace, that we would even just stop and spend a moment in Him, that we would be still and know that He is God. Constantly. Lynn and I often talk in the mornings. We have lots of, most mornings we overlap and spend time orienting. We call during the day. I'll call a lot. Sometimes to do business. Sometimes it's, hey, talk to Daniel and this is going on. Or, hey, did you remember this? Or, hey, we're making this plan for tonight. Sometimes to do business. Sometimes I'll call and be like, hey, just checking in. How's it going? What, you know, what's going on? We'll check in during the day. And we text, you know. So I get text in there sometimes too. Hey, you know, how are you? I'm good. How are you? How's it going? You know, we'll, sometimes I'll get an email. I'm checking my email. My wife's emailed me. Sometimes she's doing business. Sometimes it just says, hey. Uh, you know, and then at night we catch up again. It's just what I'm describing is simply that's the way we do intimate relationships is that we have this sense of communicating ceaselessly, like constantly, regularly. Like we, we, we live in connection to each other. And it's just saying that's how we do life with God, having a relationship with God. To find our joy in Him and to ground our life there and to live in, in a constant connection with Him. Turning our hearts. The habit of going. Building a habit. As one brother Lawrence, building the, the habit, practicing His presence. He goes on and he says not just to Rejoice always and to pray without ceasing. He says you should give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Jesus Christ. And to give thanks in all circumstances. My friends, I think we overlook the truth and the power of this one. Right? Because we just, you know, again, it goes on the list. Don't forget to say thank you. You know, if you're like you're talking to your kid, don't forget to say thank you. You know, but it's not, it's not like that. Right? He says to, to give thanks in all circumstances. If you're doing it all the time in all circumstances, how often are you grateful? You're grateful all the time. Thankful all the time before God. Uh, literally, it says, you know, give thanks in everything. In other words, He calls us to the, a life of a constant acknowledgement of God. And that He is good. And that He is Lord. That He is the giver of every good gift. Everything that is right and good and healthy in the world is, is a gift of His hand. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. And I think that's what it is. To give thanks in all circumstances. And in every circumstance, you are acknowledging God. Whatever that circumstance is. And I would say good ones and bad. Because He says to give thanks in everything. And all the time, in other words, to live gratefully before God, thankful, knowing every gift comes from Him. He is the Father of mercies. 
The God of all comfort. The gracious One. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you don't know, the answer is nothing. Then you need to listen up. Right? Because we know that is the answer. What do you have that you have not received? And, and Paul goes on to say, then why do you live and act as if you did not receive it? In other words, like you came up with it. You established your intelligence. Like You gave yourself health and life. Like you give yourself breath and make your heart to beat. Like you somehow cause, you know, that what you have is we are created in his image. Every breath we take is gift. And after a week like this, we should know that today is tomorrow is promised to no one. And every breath you take is a gift of God. And everything that you have and everything that you are able to do is because God has enabled you and given you to do it. Because there are others who cannot do it. Gift. Gratitude. Gratefulness. To live grateful before God. That is, when he says to walk humbly with your God. In many ways, this is, this is humility. To live thankful says, it's not of me. I'm not the great one. I'm not the full one. I'm not the provide, I'm not the one who has the and provides. I'm not the one who makes it all. I'm not the I'm not the one. To live thankfully is the humility to live before God knowing He is God and I'm not. And He has given every good thing. And so I mean it comes down not only every good gift that we have, but you know, from family and health and our work and the sunlight, but his love and his grace and his mercy, his son that he's given his own son that we should not perish but could have life, that He has given every good gift up to. He who has given us all things, how will He not also with Him? He who has given us His own Son, how will He not with Him give us all things? And He does. He gives and He gives. And we live as receivers. And we should live as utterly grateful ones. Finding our joy in Him every day and all that He has given and being connected to Him throughout the day as our hearts turn to Him, knowing and living and feasting on that stuff and living gratefully and humbly before Him, acknowledging Him in every circumstance and running through, even the hard ones. You remember Philippians 4.6 when you're anxious and you're worried about stuff and Philippians 4.6 says, don't be anxious. Be connected to God. Right? Don't be anxious. Be connected to God. Right? Pray about everything with supplication, with thanksgiving. When you're anxious, don't forget to be thankful. In other words, even in those moments, you see how He binds it. You'll find if you read through looking for the thanksgiving thing, it, it's everywhere. We should be as His creatures, His, His children, the sheep of His hands. Don't be anxious. Be grateful. Grateful for the fact that you can pray. Grateful that He hears your prayer. Grateful that He cares about what you're praying about. Grateful that He he never leaves you nor forsakes you. Grateful that He's got your back and He's for you and not against you. Grateful that He loves you and He's given you an eternal hope that no matter how this turns out, grateful that He is your God in every moment. Thankful in the midst of trials because we know He walks with us and He never leaves us. James tells us you could even consider it pure joy when you face trials. Because you know that God is at work. He's not only not left you, He's at work. He's with you. He's shaping you. He's conforming you to the image of His own Son. He has not abandoned you. He is, he is fully there. So even in the midst of our trials, you can count it as all, you can find joy in the God who is there with you and at work within you and to be grateful. 
Even this week, Thursday night, we had a memorial service. And many of us shed tears because it is very sad. And there is a hole that has been left in so many lives. And yet half of that service, I, see, I always open the service and say, we're here for a number of reasons. And one of them is to grieve together and to say our goodbyes. But one of them also is to celebrate the great and precious promises that we have in Jesus Christ. Right? To remember the hope that we have in Christ. And so even in those moments, to be grateful, that we, as the Bible says, that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. I am so grateful that in my grief, I, ha, I, don't, I have hope. Thank you, Father, that we, even in a world where such things happen, there is a, there is a gratitude, a humility before God. Even in those moments. And then he says, as he, as he wraps up that verse, and I don't know if he is saying, I wrestled with this a little bit, and everybody's got different ideas, and whether in, in, in 18 when he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ. Is it the will of God that you give thanks in all circumstances? Or are the three preceding ones, these which seem to be related, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God. All three of them, and that's where I land, all three of them. This is the will of God for you in Christ. This is what it means to walk humbly with your God. To find your joy in Him. To stay connected to Him. Turn your hearts to Him. To be humbly grateful before Him as you walk through life every day. If your day was marked like those things, you knew Him like that and walked with Him like that, acknowledged Him like that, reached out to Him like that, you have a relationship with God. You're walking with Him, knowing Him and loving Him. And then he says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's flame. That's literally what it means, is to quench it, is, you know, is a, you know, the image of putting out a fire, putting out a flame, that you have a lit candle. Don't, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't put out the light that He has given and poured out within us, a fullness. And when he says don't quench the Spirit, what he's talking about is to be full of the Spirit. If He's not quenched, that we are awake and alive to the presence of the Spirit of God that He has poured out into the lives of His people. So to not quench the Spirit is to be full of that presence. Knowing Him. And I believe that as we do all those other things and we walk with Him that way, that we are, will be full of His Spirit. We quench the Spirit by ignoring Him. I think that might be you know, next to actual sinning, which, you know, deliberately sinning and through which we can quench the Spirit. I think the next culprit that would quench the Spirit in our lives is simply by li not living in constant awareness of Him. To ignore Him. To live life without Him. To think, to think maybe that it's not entirely true that I can do nothing apart from Him. And so I do much apart from Him. I do much without turning to Him or reaching out to Him or connecting with Him or living humbly before Him knowing if it's going to happen well, it's going to be gift. It's going to be gift and I seek it from Him. You know, and so we quench the Spirit by simply not relying on the Spirit, not trusting in the Spirit, not calling upon the Spirit, not you know, knowing that it is only Christ in you that is the hope of glory and the hope of all and every good thing in our lives. Only by His grace can we succeed and be who He's calling us to be. Don't ignore Him. Don't we should long for His presence. Asking for it. Opening ourselves to it. Hungering. 
to be full of His Spirit, which is the very presence of God in the midst of us. We quench His Spirit by neglecting worship. And you know that what we're doing here is we have gathered all the things that He has just said and commanded us to do, we've been doing. Right? We've been come, we come here to rejoice together. We come here to connect with Him. To we, we pray constantly through the service. We do it. Right? And we, we are thankful. We hope in the midst of our service that all of these things that we do are the kind of a culmination of our walk with Him all week long as we do those things and we gather and we corporately do them. And as we corporately do them, I do believe that God meets us and inhabits the praises of His people and we are renewed to do it through the week. We quench the Spirit by neglecting the gathering together of ourselves as some are in the habit of doing. We quench it by neglecting the means of grace, being in His Word. Touch the last two very quickly. I say every one of these is a sermon. We run through them, but I hope that you see how they hold together in a kind of a life. Not, not governed by laws, but a deep well of a possibility of relationship that is opened up as He calls us to live these things in relation to Him ceaselessly, always, in every circumstance. He tells us in the following verses, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And I think he's telling us to live in alignment with the Word of God. That whatever you hear in terms of prophecies, which we would say in our tradition, at least at this point in time, is, is in preaching. That when God's Word is, is you stand and speak it, um, in a sense prophetically, that is with with the with the I think the authority of God and His Word, and as we as you hear it preached, the Berean Christians were better than all the rest because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were true. That everything that you hear, that everything that I've said, go ahead and read it for yourself, study it for yourself, test and see that they are in alignment with God's Word. Hold fast to that which is good. In other words, incorporate it into your life. To hold it fast means then go live it. Go, you know, hold it as the core of what you think and believe and do. Hold fast to everything that is in alignment with God's Word. And if it's not, you know, don't listen to the latest polls. Don't listen to what your friends are saying or what they're doing. You know, don't see what the latest cultural trend is. You know, if you go and you follow those things, he says, no, test all of these things and make sure they are in alignment with the Word of God. And as you do this, and you hold fast to what is good, he says, abstain from what is evil. Live a life of obedience, of faithfulness. Test it. Hold on to what is good and live it. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Right? In him, he is light. In him is no darkness. So we abstain from every evil. Because we want to walk in the light as He is in the light. Right? This is a life with God. A life before God. How do we do it? Well, part of it is we're doing it right now. I hope that as we spend these few minutes looking and unpacking this stuff and bringing it up in your heart and mind that it helps to align you and to, that you know, hopefully, as we say, that you will hold fast to what is good. If you've heard something good, that you will apply it in your life, that you will seek, as Mueller has said, to make it a, the primary business of your life. Whatever else you do or don't do today, that this would be the primary business to walk humbly 
with your God. Rejoicing, reaching out to Him and being grateful before Him. But once a week isn't enough. And as Mueller says, how do I pull it off? How did I pull it off in my life? How are we going to pull it off? How are we going to live to fan the flame? And so, you know, if we don't quench the Spirit, we need to fan to flame the life of God within us, to fan all these things to flame. And Mueller says, it is God's Word. He said, I saw that the most important thing that I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it, to think about it. Right? What is the food for the inner man? It's not prayer per se, but the Word of God. And not simply the reading of the Word so that it passes through our minds just as water passes through a pipe, but considering what we've read, pondering over it, applying it to our hearts, sitting in it. So it's not like water through a pipe, but it's like sitting in a hot tub. Right? You soak in the hot tub till your fingers are wrinkly. Right? And he says, you know, and this is that we sit. Where do we fan the flame? Is to sit in God's Word long enough. You know, I've been studying this week again. I found myself in the end of 2 Corinthians and, and I read again, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says that I will, I will uh, rejoice all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ would rest on me. I've heard that a hundred times. And I know that. You know that. But when you go sit in it again, I mean, I didn't think of it, you know, a week ago. I wasn't thinking about it. It's not, you know what I mean? We go sit in it again. We go read it again. We let it speak to us again. And I've been sitting in it all week ever since I read it. My grace is sufficient for you. There's a promise that I have been basking in. And then I love to hear him saying that my power is made perfect in your weakness. Oh, then God, I do, I've been worried about my weakness lately. I've been really worried about my weakness lately. You know what? I'm not worried about my weakness. I will rejoice all the more gladly in my weakness. I want the power of Christ to rest on me. I want to be the instrument of God. I want to be used on Him. I just sit in it. All I do is sit in it a little bit. Let that word be spoken afresh to your soul. And that is how it fans to flame that I rejoice in God that His grace is sufficient for me. I am thankful and I live thankfully today that His his power will be made perfect in my weakness. And I turn to Him through the day that I might find that power just simply living this out. And it is God's word that fans to flame the truth, and fills us afresh with a hunger and a passion for it and, and the fullness of His Spirit to live it. You see what I'm talking about? A little bit. What does God desire from us? But to walk humbly with our God. This is the first order of business, my friends. Every day. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you. Even as we've said all these things, we should be on our knees before you thinking that you, O oh God, would walk with us. And that we would be so negligent in walking with you. Oh Father, may it not strike us like a new law. May it come near and fan to flame a hunger and a thirst for righteousness a desire to know You and to walk with You every day, a desire to find this joy, to be connected, and and to live gratefully before our God, 
full of us, your spirit. Oh, come near to us and teach us afresh, day by day, what it means to walk humbly with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.